Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 61, week 61, volume 61, number fucking 61. How you going guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. So this week's guest is Dan from King9 and that will be coming up later in the show. So we normally start things off with a bit of questions, a bit of feedback and we heard from Joshua through Facebook and Instagram this week. And he asked kind of a two-part question. Part one, he says, really enjoyed Sean's story this week, just gone. Yourself and Sean spoke about the industry and what it does well and not so well for today's artists. I, for one, wouldn't mind hearing more from you as someone that's seen all the sides of the industry. Part two, he says, I, for one, find streaming services a great platform for discovery and a place to get direct links to merch and ticketing information, which not all bands take advantage of. But on the bad side, the artists truly get sweet fuck all in streaming royalties from my understanding. Joshua, first thing, man, as always, thank you for reaching out and thank you for always opening up the lines of communication and feedback that you give us. Much respect, much love, much appreciated, dude. So... So Joshua, let's delve into that question. So what do I think is going on with the industry? I think we're at a real crossroads. I think we're at a very difficult stage for the industry. A lot of music is now accessible, which is great. More bands are getting discovered. More people are getting more music at their fingertips. But I think the art of music and the art of really getting passionate about a band is getting lost. I don't think many people really, once they love and discover a band on a streaming service, actually do, like you say, and then go in and get merch and gig information. I think that's kind of becoming a dying thing. I don't think if someone really likes an album, they are then willing to nowadays buy a physical copy of the album. With streaming, it is great, like we said, for getting out there, getting the music around to everyone, but the bands don't make anything. As you said, they get sweet F.A., I think what we need to start learning to do as metalheads or heavy music lovers is still go back to what we always used to do and I think is starting to die, and that is support the bands. So if you find a band you really, really love and you're like, I'm really enjoying this EP, I'm really enjoying this album, show the band you appreciate it, get a t-shirt, get a physical copy. The thing about those things, that goes into the band's pocket. Streaming, they get 0.000001%. Another thing I think that's going on with the industry, I think we're getting to a stage where there's too much music. Now, that sounds a bit weird to say, oh, we've got too much music. I think the problem what we're starting to see is that because there's so many bands, the market's getting kind of saturated. And because of that, quality seems to really be diminishing and also bands are easily forgotten about. You mentioned some bands to people and they're like, oh, I didn't even know they were still around. I think that's the other thing. I think we're starting to have our attention really diminish. Um, I think that kind of answered the question. I think I went on a bit of a ramble there, Joshua, but basically I think support the streaming services that you do like, guys, but also don't forget that streaming's not going into the pocket of the artist. So you still need to support those artists. You still need to buy a shirt, buy a CD, buy a vinyl, go to their local shows. Because if you're not doing that and Spotify and these things aren't paying them, eventually these bands are going to break up and these bands are going to go away. So 
I hope that answered it, Joshua. A bit of a ramble, but we got there kind of in the end. Um, hope you enjoyed the answer. As always, Joshua, thank you for always getting in touch. Thank you for the feedback. As I said earlier, much love, much respect, much appreciated, dude. We also got a bit of feedback this week from Jimmy through Instagram. He said, loved the show. Talking about the Sean of Thy Art is Murder episode. We also had Mark through Instagram saying, I really dug this episode. We got a review on iTunes. We got a five out of five. And we also got great content. And that is by K30Tank from America. Thanks, dude. Really appreciate that. Now, normally at this stage, I remind you guys that there is a lot of ways you can help us out. And one thing I want to mention that we've just started this weekend, just past, was we have created a group for everyone to join. It's on our Facebook. It's called the Mosh Zone Community. And this is a place where we can all come, we can discuss We can open up chat, we can open up feedback, we can open up questions, and everyone is welcome, and let's get this community growing, and I think we're also going to start doing some competitions, we'll be giving some things away, so go to the Facebook, you'll see there in the Mosh Zone page, you'll see groups, and you will see the Mosh Zone community, make sure you join the group, and make sure you let anyone else that likes heavy music to join the group. So that leads me into, don't forget guys, share the podcast, share the page, help us grow this community, tell people about the Mosh Zone, tell people about the podcast, help us grow the show, help this show get bigger and better. Without your help, we can't achieve any of this and with all your help, we notice it and we're forever grateful. So enough of the ramblings, let's get on to this week's show. This week, I got the opportunity to sit down with Dan from King Nine. It was an absolute great pleasure to have the man on the show. An absolute fucking dude. A good insight into Dan's upbringing with music, how he's really been in the hardcore community for a long time, how the band got going, and a lot more along the way. That chat with Dan is coming up now. So I always kind of start off with, um, you know, not necessarily a heavy band, but do you remember uh, an artist or a musician when you were younger that helped you discover that music was a thing, that music existed? Yeah, I, I can actually pinpoint kind of exactly where it happened. And it's a real odd story, but I saw the movie Clueless. Wow. <laughs> Which I don't know if you've seen that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw the movie Clueless when I was a little kid. I, I must have been like eight or nine or something like that. And the Money Money Boston's are playing in it. <laughs> and I didn't I didn't know what it was and I just thought it was cool because he like stage dives at the end and I just thought it was I just thought it was cool. So I remember like right after that, I have an older brother. He's seven years older than me. So at the time he was like already into like Pantera and stuff like that. And I had no idea about anything, but I saw that. And I remember I asked him to buy me that CD and I, I don't, I have no idea what CD it was. I just wanted to hear them again. And I got a CD for my birthday that year. That was like, it was called Scott core, the devil and a whole lot more. And it was just a money, money, Boston single. 
And then oddly enough, it was them covering hardcore bands. They covered Angry Samoans, SSD, Minor Threat, and somebody else. I don't remember, but I listened to it when I was a little kid all the time, having no idea what I was hearing, just thinking it was like that band. And then I, from there, I kind of just liked like the offspring and stuff like that until my brother showed me hardcore. So punk, so kind of punk and ska was kind of your in way. Um, was you know you were saying that you know you saw him stage dive and stuff. Was it was it the energy? Was it the excitement? What about kind of that music brought you in at first? I mean, that's kind of what it was. It was just like there being something that I didn't understand and seemed cool and like they were dressed differently and they were, it just seemed cool to me as stupid as that sounds. (laughs) And I just wanted to know more about it. Cause I was like, well, I didn't understand what it was at all. And like, I saw a guy with a, you know what, actually when I was a little kid and I was in like third grade or something, they, they make you play an instrument and I played the trumpet. And I remember seeing like somebody with a saxophone and somebody with a trumpet and being like even more confused, like, can I actually be in a band playing the trumpet? Like, so what about you know? You said your older brother started showing you some heavier music, obviously. So, what was kind of the band that brought you into the more extreme side of things? And you know, I'm going to reference extreme when you know you say hardcore kind of things. So, what brought you into that and what was the band that after you heard it, you were like, this is my jam. This is the shit that speaks to me. So again, when I was a little kid, I always saw my brother wearing like Pantera shirts or like Slayer shirts, like stuff like that. And I didn't really like know anything about him. I just knew my brother listened to him. And there was times that he would like, leave the house and I would sneak into his room and find like whatever was in his CD player and just listen to just sit there and listen to it. And the first couple times that, that I did that, it was Pantera. And I, I thought it was like insane sounding. So I remember right when I heard that I went to tower records with my brother, which was around the block from my house at the time we went to tower records and I saw Pantera just put out a new, record and i was like i gotta get that like he he, i don't even think he has that yet and i picked it up and i asked him to buy it for me and we and we bought it and that was like the first step into like anything heavy or or anything extreme if you want to call it that that i ever got so it was as as weird as it is yeah going from money money boston's pretty much directly to pantera was my my segue into that what album was that was that um would that have been it was reinvent reinventing reinventing the steel, the steel. Ooh, fuck yeah and did, did that lead you into like a whole yeah. deep dive of pantera like did you really yeah, like, love from pantera? the yeah from the time from that time on pantera was like my favorite band and i never even really like got into anything like remotely punk until like later on. But yeah, Pantera, like a hundred percent was my favorite band at the time. And from there, I remember I got the live record and then the live record kind of exposed me to like a little 
bit of each album and then i just kept going from there and getting different albums and so when when was the first time you experienced like a live show and how old were you and do you remember the lineup and yeah so the first time i experienced like any any live show i was i was 12 and Mm -hmm kids i knew when i was in school is in like sixth or might have been like seventh grade kids i knew who played music and who also liked pantera and also like some metal bands had some dog shit like i don't know what band like they did like some metallica covers or like black sabbath covers and they played like a like a I guess it was like a battle of the bands. I, I don't remember what it was, but it was at a venue called the downtown in Long Island. And yeah, it was probably, it was probably 2000 or 2000. It was 2001 or 2002 or something like that. And I, I went to that show and that was the first time I, I ever went to a show. And I remember kids push pitting to them and, and just goofy stuff like that. Like 12 year olds with like parents in the audience and stuff. <laughs> so you grew up in, long island and you know what was school like for you you know are you starting to you know around 12 you know that's technically middle school i think but are you starting to see yourself as like a punk kid metal kid um are you kind of a bit of an outsider or are you kind of getting along with everyone what was school like for you as a as a kid so yeah i mean when i mean growing up in long island you for my experience at least like basically went to school with the cast of the jersey shore pretty much even though it was long island it was pretty much the same thing as as that so wearing any shirt that you know said pantera slipknot or anything like that as you i literally got called like freak this and like you know whatever just being like a complete weirdo because i wasn't wearing some echo t-shirt like you know some (laughs) some shit that they were all wearing so i always kind of got that but i i always played sports like i played football i played hockey i I wrestled i did so much stuff so i knew all those kids but they they didn't know like almost none of them liked me so (laughs) i kind of had a real weird relationship where like yeah i i knew them but they would still think i'm like a freak or whatever and that lasted pretty much until the end of high school. And then, like, I guess as kids get older, like, you know, I'd see people outside of high school and they'd be like, oh, yeah, I, I heard about this band or this band. And I'd just be like, get the fuck away from me. Like, <laughs> he tortured me throughout fucking junior high and high school because I, I wasn't like you guys. Now you want to, like, find some common ground with me. Like, fuck off. Yeah, it's a weird thing that, that they – um their world is high school and when they leave high school they realize that you know they're really not worth anything outside of high school (laughs) it's kind of it's shitty to say but it's true like i i see like the lives they lead now and it's just like it's all in the same town that we all grew up in they don't they never left they still talk to the same 10 people they were around (laughs) and like that's it that's their whole world and and it's quite often the one that they gave shit to is the one like yourself that's pushed on and 
has an exciting life from from compared to theirs. Like theirs is boring. The only thing they have to share about <laughs> is the new car they bought or something that their four year old's doing. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then like they'll look at you and be like, "Oh, you don't have kids. You don't want to have kids. You don't do this." And it's like, no, I I have other things that I want to do right now in my life. Like having a kid isn't the end all be all of my life. Well, exactly, and that's the other thing. It, just because that's what the the normality is to do doesn't mean everyone has to do it. It's quite a it's quite a thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So in high school, was music as a career something that you thought about or you aspired to do, or was it kind of a later thought for you? I mean, when I was in high school, I, I always liked music just like period i never played any instruments outside of the trumpet when i was like a little kid (laughs) but i always like had an idea of like wanting to be in a band wanting to sing in bands and i played in a couple bands i played in a really bad like beat down almost band when i was like 16 and you know i always liked doing that and right when i got into college i played in a band uh, called Mind Peace, and I was I'm 17 years old, and, and we had a demo and all this stuff, and I went to college, and then Terror asked my band to do a tour with them. It was like a 10 day tour, and I immediately just dropped out of college, and I was like, "Fuck doing anything else," and wow. just started touring, and then yeah, I kind of just went from there. But I mean, one thing that yeah, you know, without jumping too far forward, one thing with like King Nine is that you guys don't heavily tour so was there ever a backup plan to bring in the money because something that some people mightn't understand is that you know unless you reach the level of a metallica or a slayer something like this you still need something that brings in the money to pay the bills to keep a house going or keep a roof over your head keep meals on the table yeah so what what were you thinking about doing? Was it just like, yeah. all right, I'm gonna commit to this, and that's the fucking if I sink, I sink; if I float, I float. Or what were you what were you processing? So yeah, so the band I was in when I was 17, we planned on being like a full time band, and then we had a ton of issues, and and we ended up just breaking up. So I I kind of was like, ah, damn, like I already dropped out of college, like the fuck am i gonna do and i didn't really have like a real plan but backtrack started touring and i was like well fuck it i'll just go with them and i just started riding with them everywhere and like doing merch or driving or doing whatever i could to just like not be home really mm-hmm. and i for from that point on for the next like seven years i had no plan at all i just kept doing whatever i would get home i would work like some shitty side job whether i was delivering flowers or whatever the hell it was like i just worked any job i could until i was like i was lucky enough to get asked to do do merch for terror and they were paying me so i was like okay cool this is my job now i'll do this and like but there was never any like grand plan until i actually stopped touring and when I stopped touring, I kind of had to like figure it out and I had to be like, all right, I got to do something here. I got to, I got to like get my shit together. So I'm not homeless. (laughs) 
So what did you fall on or what do you do outside nowadays to keep the um, keep the life so moving? That, now I iron work and I, I've been doing that for like three years and it's uh, it's not easy, but I do like it and you know I do I do make halfway decent money so I can I can do King nine when I can and then I can live how I want to live and have no issues that it, it's it's a good job I mean it pays pays well in, in Australia as well um, an interesting thing you mentioned there which is something that personally what brought me to hardcore and what I love so much much about hardcore is the sense of community and the sense of connection and relationships that can be built within such a underground culture and scene and obviously the connection with backtrack ended up helping create king nine in many ways um how yeah how did king nine start out and for someone that only played trumpet how did you decide to pick up a microphone (laughs) so um king nine started because the original drummer of backtrack uh rudder who is obviously our drummer now uh the original drummer of backtrack had hit me up and was like hey i I wanted to do a band again like would you want to sing in it it's with this person this person and this person and uh then we ended up i got i was home and i was like yeah let's let's play together and and we just we actually just covered a terror song and then we're like all right cool this this seems to work and then we decided be a band together but first band i ever sung in i was like 16 or yeah i was 16 or 15 and i I literally the only reason i sang is because i didn't know how to do anything else but i just wanted to be in a band so i was like all right this is my only option (laughs) so so how did you go with vocals did you just kind of wing it and you know just give it a go and figure it out as you went along or did you yeah, around that time, maybe YouTube was kicking on. I don't know if it was, but, you know, was there any education or insight or reading into how to do it? Because screaming isn't, you know, people think, oh, it can't be that hard. But there is quite a bit involved because you're doing something that your voice can't normally do for an extended period of time. Right. I, uh, I mean, the first couple bands I was in, I just straight up, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just going to scream as loud as I can for as long as I can. And <laughs> that just, that'll how, that'll be how it is. But as I got a little older, I kind of, there's actually, there is a DVD that somebody showed me called the Zen of screaming that yeah. I'm sure it's on YouTube now, but I watched it and like took a couple little things from it. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll try to, use some of these techniques and fucking that's that's all i got now it's still not really like a a skill i've refined it kind of just is something i just don't really know how to do 100 percent. i just try to go out there and pretend like i do have you ever blown out your voice has it ever reached a point where you can't speak for oh. a day or all the fucking time if we play if we play more than like two or three shows at a time that I can't speak for the next like two days because I just still can't figure out how to get it, how to get it better. 
it, it's you know it, it does get stronger if we do play shows often it does like it takes longer to, to blow it out like i remember when when scared to death came out like that whole year we played a lot and like we did a 10-day european tour and like i had no issue i had no issue at that time with, with my voice blown out or anything so you know that 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 did go well but since then we, we probably we probably play like i don't know tw- 20 to 25 shows a year and almost every time without fail my voice is shot fuck and, and you've never had to pull out of a show though have you have you been able to push through um the show no, after your voice i'll just i will just tell i'll tell gian and i'll tell john like just please help me for as long as you can because <laughs> i'm gonna sound like, like absolute shit so <laughs> now when when you started out with with you know screaming or singing whatever you want to call it um, did you have any, you know, did you have any inspirations? You were like, if I can sound like this person or if I can pull off a show like this person, then I'm happy. Yeah. So I loved when I, when I first started like trying to be in a band, obviously Pantera was still like in my head, like, mm. you know, that, that I want to sound like Phil and Sambo. I want to be able to do this. And real quick, I learned that that was not going to happen. So I kind of like took what bands like Life of Agony and like what Keith Caputo sounds like mm-hmm. and kind of just went with that. And that is like kind of like the influence I had when I started was to try to kind of use the way he sang and like how he could sing, but he kind of doesn't give it like these crazy ranges and all these insane things so i was like ah, i'll just try to sound like that and again that kind of worked for a little <laughs> bit but it kind of didn't and then you know like it kind of always changes too because you just hear some something sometimes and you're like damn that sounds so sick i remember there was a there was a period of time when king nine first started that i was like we always listened to like nile and like behemoth all the time Fuck and i and, and like i guess sub- subconsciously i always like made my voice sound like either i i forget what not dallas but the other dude that sings in nile uh i can't remember his name but i always try to make my voice sound like him and like it's just like completely ridiculous and not <laughs> not gonna happen do you do you ever are you comfortable when you hear yourself on record or if you hear a a live recording do you do you like hearing back your voice or are you someone that when you hear your voice you're constantly criticizing it and going oh fuck it's not quite what i want it to be or i haven't achieved what i want to sound like it took a long time to not feel like that like not to to not be overcritical of the way my voice sounds and it really was kind of just until this last record where i was like comfortable with how my voice sounded and I, and I was happy with with the way things came out because for a very long time I would hear my voice live and I would just kind of be like this is this is not at all what I want to sound like mm. and yeah like up until death rattle pretty much I, I really was not pleased with the way I ever sounded fuck it's good that you've changed though because now you can actually probably sit back and enjoy what you're producing yeah and you know a a big big part of it too is a lot of times 
that I've recorded up until now, I, I haven't had like the quality of, of recording that I ever wanted. So finally we have one and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like I, I'm totally good with my voice right now. Like I think it sounds cool. Like I'm real happy with it. So definitely is better than hating your fucking voice. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's an, it's an understandable thing to go through now with the band King nine, you know, you kind of, you guys did a demo and then, for me personally, and I think for a lot of listeners, you probably burst onto the scene almost in a way with the debut Scared to Death. Um, it felt like out of nowhere you were a very buzzed, heavily talked about band. Um, what was it like for you guys? Did did you feel like you were just suddenly um, got a bit of momentum behind you or did you feel like you were still needing to earn that place within all that buzz i mean we definitely definitely felt that like initial like kick in of everybody like kind of talking or, or saying you know whatever you that people have to see us live and this that and the other thing definitely felt that initially but we definitely didn't want to slip into the like we deserve this we deserve that kind of kind of thing because mm. i definitely have seen a lot of bands do that where people talk about them people think like oh yeah you gotta see this band this band's awesome this that and the other thing and they kind of it, it might be not warranted after a certain amount of time after the initial like burst of it wears off it kind of is like unwarranted and we didn't want to fall into that so we kind of tried to not succumb to anything where we think we deserve more than this or more than that and just kind of like be as humble as we could about things and i mean even now like i really you know as dumb as it is with like headlining shows like i don't even want to do that like i never want to do that because i always feel like all these other bands deserve it more than us because they work more than us and we kind of just don't put in as much time as they might currently and it feels it feels kind of fucked up to be honest yeah, it shows it shows a sense of being humble and honest and respectful i mean i think you guys obviously understand that yeah you've got you got the push but you st- you can't just rest on your laurels you need to keep pushing and grinding and working hard which is an ethic that a lot of bands don't have because they burst out they're out in everyone's face and then they just kind of assume that it will stay there. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, like, when we saw it, too, you know, we, we did Scared to Death. There was, like, a two-year period in between where nothing came out. Then we recorded that single, Art of War. Mm-hmm. And we, we saw everybody kind of get, like, back into the hype a little bit because we recorded that intro track that everybody talks about and all this and whatever. And then you know, we didn't get to do anything. We had member changes. We had we almost weren't a band for a short period of time. Like, you know, a- after that, uh, that single came out and it ended up being like we watched that all kind of like slowly die down and we watched people not talk as much. And it kind of like, you know, it did take a while, but it did definitely get us to get off our ass and be like, we got to fucking finish this record and write this record 
and it kind of did motivate us to, to finally get that record done and, and, and record it. Yeah. And was, was going into death rattle, was there a lot of, um, expectation and nervousness? You know, you touched on there about kind of, it would have been such, such a long time between music and, you know, sometimes attention spans are short. So were you worried that death rattle would come out and people will have forgotten who you were, or were you worried that you'd have to start again from scratch? You know, you were going to have to start all over. Nobody was going to remember who you were. We, we kind of had this feeling of like, you know, fuck man, it's, it's been five years between records and like not even so much like will anybody care about it but it was more so like are we going to be happy with it because we built it up so much in our heads like after five years we're like we got this has to be like the pinnacle of our band like this that and the other thing like we 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 tried to tried to like maintain a realistic perspective on it but it really just we all were stressed out about it i mean when we first started demoing songs we had we had six new songs and we demoed all of them and we ended up getting rid of two completely and changing the other two almost entirely to completely different songs because we were so like hypercritical of everything that we were we were doing so i mean that 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 feeling of like are we going to fucking yeah, are people over it? Are we over it? Are we fucking not, you know, not uh, not the band we want to be right now? Like, we had a lot of that and a lot of, like, stress and anxiety going into, you know, recording and putting that record out. Obviously, now we, we, we couldn't be happier with it, but at the time, it was, it was pretty fucking nerve-wracking. Oh, it, it, the energy in that album, though, is infectious because I remember when... When Closed Casket announced that, you know, there was a new album from King Nine coming out and then you guys dropped the first single, uh, bang, it was it was like you guys had been constantly releasing music. You know, the, the reception that the album got and the singles got um, must have been a sense of reward and relief. For you guys that all that stress and worry was yeah was good like it was good for you guys to have because it showed that you cared about what you were doing but really you didn't need to do your fucking heads in that much yeah. i mean to be fair it really did kind of put us where we wanted to be though like that like constant stress like kind of made us feel like you know we got to be better we got to do better we got to you know so we, we definitely did put in a more effort, more work. But yeah, right as soon as that single came out, it felt like a huge sigh of relief where we were just like, Oh, thank God, like we're you know, it's it's people are happy with it, we're happy with it, like we're good. It's fucking um like I said before I started recording it, it was without a doubt in my top three hardcore albums of the year and um the the energy and the passion in in this album i wanted to ask a question with kind of like with you with one thing i love about what you do is your lyrics are very in your face they're very confronting um socially aware politically aware you 
aren't afraid to talk about the realities of the bleak world we live in, the bleak realities that a lot of people go through. Um, was this album and Scared to Death, is it a sense of venting for you or is it a sense that, you know, you feel like you have this platform and you need to say something? I mean, it's definitely a little bit of both because I mean, you could tell some of the songs are, are more personally driven where they're they're just more about like my experiences or and I, and just so you know that the there are some songs like the song twisted thoughts i didn't write all the lyrics for that i wrote a portion of the lyrics but mo- you know most of the lyrics for that song were written by our guitar player john mm-hmm. uh who is a new member to the band but we do feel like we have that it's not necessarily a responsibility but we feel like we have that platform to be like you know, we to voice our, our opinion because we do think we do have a little bit of a different opinion, although it might be the quintessential hardcore standard opinion. We do feel like we have a little bit more of a different opinion and we don't have the same opinion that everybody gets. You know, it's not this echo chamber where we'll say something and we know that a majority of the people are going to agree with it. We want to say something that people aren't going to agree with so they can look at it in a different way and mm. we see it in a different way. And, you know, it is, um, it is, it is also sort of a venting process for us. If you like, you know, you could tell some of the songs that we, that we wrote are, are more or less like things that we all deal with, or me personally, I deal with on a regular basis. That's like, it's just something that goes on every day. I have to deal with it every single day. It's right in front of my face all the time. And it's just somewhere I can like say how I feel about it without having, you know, without basically talking in an empty room or talking to a fucking psychiatrist about it. (laughs) Do you ever get, do do you ever experience like writer's block when it comes to putting lyrics down or is it something that comes easy because, you know, you are putting a message out. um, So obviously there's a lot of time and effort put in, but is it something that you struggle with or is it something that as soon as that, pen hits the paper it just flows i honest to god have like writer's block with lyrics so often because i i think that i keep i keep writing the same thing over and over and over again it's just what it feels like like you know it feels like i'm like i wrote this song why am i why am i writing this again and i, I i'll just write an entire page of lyrics forget about it and then come back to it maybe you know, two months, three months later, and then I'll, I'll be like, eh, maybe this wasn't so bad. And then I'll I'll go look at them again. And be like, oh, maybe I could change them. And but I I constantly feel that like it, I wouldn't call it writer's block, but it is just like I feel like I'm writing the same. I feel like I'm I'm just repeating myself over and over and over again. So you <laughs> want to like get a little bit of like a fresher take on something, and it does present a pretty big challenge, but I try to, to, you know, not say the same thing 8 million times, but it definitely tends to happen more often than not. Do you get a lot of people come up to you and tell you that their lyrics have done something for them? Or do you experience people coming up and saying, oh, this song about this? And then you're like, well, actually, the song's not about that. Do you, do you experience a lot of that kind of <laughs> stuff with your lyrics? 
I I experience like that occasionally. I you know we we I get people that have been, that'll have it tattooed on them or something that's like I can't even the thought of somebody getting something I wrote tattooed on them is just the absolute ridiculous. But uh, you know I I do get that every once in a while that people the, you know that the lyrics do mean a lot to them and in in hardcore now it almost feels like people might not care nearly as much what the lyrics are. Mm. So it, it seems to me like that, that, that is more important to me now than ever that people give a shit about the lyrics or the lyrics mean something to them. And it, it happens occasionally. And I, it's, it's probably the best part about being in a band. Yeah. I think it's, it's heavily flattering and you touched on something there that I think um, I definitely wanted to ask um, is, you know, do you think hardcore still has the same impact and meaning in 2019? Does it still have its same drive and purpose? I know there is a lot of bands out there that do still have the same drive and purpose, but overall, do you think it still has the same impact that it sh- had back in the heyday? I I think it does for the people who genuinely care. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of people that have a very like uh shallow like they don't care as much about hardcore as they want to lead on that they do Mm. but there are still people there are still younger people that that i'll meet i'm not old by any means but you know i i meet kids who are maybe 20 21 and i i hear their opinions on hardcore and i'm like okay there is still hope there is still people that give a shit and they get it and they they understand like how something should be or how, how they should feel about something. And like, you know, I, I say that kind of, well, I have a, I have an example and, and it's something that happened to me at, at this is hardcore. And I always talk about it because it bummed me out so much, but I was, we played and, and I was standing there at the merch table and, and somebody was looking, we had two shirts and somebody was looking at him and they were like, man, you guys never had any good merch. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. We, we just kind of try. We, we, don't, we don't really put that much effort into our merch. And she's like, why? You guys should have the sickest merch. And I was like, because we don't care about this. Like having a cool shirt means so much less to us than having a good show or, or people giving a fuck about seeing us or any of that and she was she stared at me and was like damn i didn't really think about it like that and i was like yeah no (laughs) right and i just it felt it felt so shitty that somebody at a hardcore fest didn't understand that like i i don't know yeah it's uh, it's disheartening i I mean forever no i mean i i i echo the sentiment because i um you know when i i moved to australia and i went to a lot of shows in the local hardcore scene and I remember seeing you know part of when you're young going to shows is you see someone with another band shirt that you like and you'd acknowledge them and be like okay maybe this can open up some dialogue you know hey and I remember it pointed to a, a guy and I said he was wearing a terror shirt and I was like how fucking sick is terror and he goes who's terror and I was like you're oh the, sh- the shirt you're wearing and he goes the sh- I, he goes, I thought it was a clothing brand. 
because it just said it just said Terra on the front, and it was the Terra. old school Terra logo. And I went, okay, um, right. Guess people, you know, use it as a an as an image, which is unfortunate, but it's also part of the reality of the world we live in sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the thing too. Is it's like I may have had that experience with someone, and, and as much as it it'll bum me out it also is just kind of the way it is. And like, that doesn't mean that everybody thinks that way or that the majority of people think that way. It just is disheartening when you see somebody at a hardcore show and they say that to, it's like, God, like really? (laughs) Like we have to, you know what I mean? (laughs) It's, it, it, yeah, it does. It just bums you out and then you go, fuck. Well, okay. Well, at least he bought the shirt, I guess. You know, Uh, Take that as yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> um, being in a band nowadays, um, is there a lot of um, you know pressure to be relevant and stay in people's eyes? I mean, do you feel like you know, like we were saying earlier, with the amount of time between Scared to Death and Death Rattle, are you worried that if there's not something out there, whether it's a video or new music, that you're going to get forgotten? And then the other side of the question is. Do you feel like as a band nowadays that the power is all yours to kind of shape your career as you want? You know, it used to be you got to get signed. Nowadays, not necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that being on some big label is is what you have to do, although it does seem to be sort of trending in that direction in in recent time again i guess it was like that in the 90s that people were trying to get on bigger labels and then you know kind of reverted back to smaller stuff and now it feels like it's going back to bigger labels again but i i do feel like um that uh you kind of can just be who you want to be and and you don't have to really answer to anybody if you don't want to you can put out your own records you can do everything you want to do by yourself and you don't really have to allow somebody else to shape who your band is or what your band is about or the image of your band. You just kind of be yourself. And I think, I think a lot of people recognize somebody being genuine over anything else. It's, I think subconsciously they, people just understand that without having anybody else having to tell them that like, no, this band's real. Like, you know what I mean? It's, mm. you can sense when someone's genuine, you don't have to, you could tell when someone's posing. It just, it just is what it is. You know, everybody can tell, but What's... You know, I guess people choose to, to allow themselves to, to fall into those categories of, of being someone they're not or being something they're not. What about with you guys? Um, you know, with the way you get U.S. love compared to Europe love. Um, You know, you're not a... Because of life and because of whatever, you're not a heavily 365-day touring band, but you do tour occasionally and consistently when you guys want. Do you feel like in the U.S. um, you have to always tour to make an impact or to stay in people's radars and it's a whole different ball game with Europe because you get over there maybe once a year, maybe once every couple of years, but the impact of not being there 
doesn't appear. You just you're still as big, if not bigger, from the last time you were there. Yeah, it, I I, I want to say that it, there's so many different factors, especially with touring in the U.S. or being a band in the U.S. Is that we don't get to tour, we don't get to go play a show in Nebraska, you know, or just us and some other band. We don't get to do that. And as much as that sucks, and we would love to be able to do that and spend our lives touring, we can't. And it does kind of feel like maybe it does sort of get you you know out of the public eye i guess for lack of a better word like it does feel like it might sort of make you go to the wayside for american kids if, if they're only able to see you at sound and fury or they're only able to see you at united blood not everybody can go to those things and it does suck because you want to play for everybody that ever wants to see you but it does feel like touring really is the only way to keep yourself in any sort of relevance with a the younger crowd and b an american crowd but when you get to europe like it's just different it's just it's just different i don't know how to explain it maybe it is exactly what you were saying before where it's like there is already an understanding that people have that they're not going to get to see bands as often as everywhere else does if ever so maybe they, you know, they'll be a fan of that band and they'll continue to be a fan of that band until they do get their chance to see them. Or, you know, they'll just be a fan of that band for good going forward. Yeah, and, and it, it, but it it's, does. Uh, it's a weird catch-22, though, with what you said with America, because I think, you know, if you then were one of those bands that's always touring, then potentially people will be like, well, I'm not going to, go to the King Nine show this month because in three months they'll be back in my town. So it's got to be hard. You've got to find that balance of don't tour too much because people will get sick of you. Don't tour too little because then people will forget about you. How do you find the middle ground? Yeah, it's it's a weird, it's almost like a science you have to figure out to like get some sort of like perfect amount of touring and 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 i i do think that every band probably goes through this i mean i spent a lot of time with terror and i've watched them sort of go through their ebbs and flows as a band although their ebb might as well be you know somebody's peak of a band <laughs> but i it, it's it's weird you know you you have somebody like oh well we're gonna do three usa u.s tours this year and it's like somebody in chicago is gonna be like well they're gonna be here three times this year like yeah i'm not gonna go see them this time or maybe not enough people go and see them that first time they're there and the show isn't good and then people who would have liked them don't like that there's so many different factors it's it is like a bizarre like you need some sort of algorithm to figure out what is like the perfect <laughs> amount of touring. <laughs> it's insane. The 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 fact that bands do what they do, I think sometimes I think fans take for granted. It's um it's not fucking easy. Like not easy at all. Um Dude, I it, they definitely do. I I I definitely when I was younger and even still like I will see that a band is touring here and I'll be like, "Ah, oh, like They'll, they'll probably play another show here soon. Like, I'll just go next time. And, like, I fucking miss a show because I'm being 
an idiot and I just think like, oh, well, I don't have to see them this time. And it's like, that's such a dumb way to be. But, you know, it is what it is, I guess. It is what it is. I think also something is how old the person is. And this sound, you know, someone in their mid-30s saying this, it's like, I remember being in my, you know, late teens, early 20s, and it was like, every fucking show, I'll just fucking go. Um, now I'm, I'm at that stage where it's like, my bones hurt. I'm fucking old. I have to drive an hour and a bit to get to the show. <laughs> you better you better bring the show if I go, because if I fucking drive an hour and a half to get to your show and you don't have any energy, fuck, I'm going to hate you. You know, it's this weird thing being 36 nowadays, <laughs> going to shows. Um, wanted to ask... No, a- I, I, I definitely understand that. It's weird. It's weird. I can't... I, yeah, it's, it's a strange period of life now. I still want to go to shows, but... It's got to be fucking good. It's got to be good. Because I've been to some and then <laughs> I, I was there watching the show and the band was going through the motions. The turnout was terrible. And then you're like, fucking hell, I could have stayed at home tonight. Fuck, man. i got to be up at five. <laughs> Fuck. Like, it's weird. Yeah. Um, wanted to ask you about, you know, a couple more questions before we start wrapping things up so you can get back to wrapping your merch. Um, is... <laughs> What were your goals with music when you were starting out in bands in your early, um, you know, early bands? What were your goals? To what are your goals now in King Nine? Looking forward to this year. When I when I was a kid, all I wanted to do was just play big, cool shows and just be on shows with bands I liked and be on shows with like bands that i wanted to to play with that literally was it like we we wanted to play different venues like when i was when i was 16 cbgb's was still around and i wanted to play there so goddamn bad and i never got a chance to i always went to shows there every show there even if it was like a, a shit show where there was like maybe 80 people at it was still sick and i wanted to play there so bad and I never got a chance to. It bummed me out so goddamn much. But now, as I'm older, and I realize that there's like more opportunities than rather just playing with like, oh well, you know, I want to play with this band or that band. Like I realize that there's more opportunities for us to just travel and use it as a way to be able to see the rest of the world. And like, I'm grateful enough that terror has brought me to so many places and I've been so to so many places with terror, but I never got to play those places and and experience playing a show in (coughs) say Japan or or wherever. So now our goal really is to just play everywhere we can to whoever wants to see us. And if like we're playing a show in, in Finland, uh, in two months, and it's literally one show. We're flying eight and a half hours into Finland, playing the show, and then flying eight and a half hours back home. Fuck. Like, we just want to be able to play wherever. Just if you want to see us and you want, and you're, you can figure out a way for us to get there, we'll do it. Like, we'll play wherever. And, like, you know, jokingly, when we first started the band, we always said that our main goal was to just play Japan. Just play Japan. And whether it be the end of this year in 2019 or the very beginning of 2020, we will be playing Japan. 
I'm not sure when it is yet. Ho- hopefully it'll be sometime in, in the fall, maybe with uh, Blood Axe Fest. I don't know yet. But we will be in Japan at some point. And who knows? Maybe if we have the if we have the time from work, maybe we'll play in Australia, which would be great. Well, I think knows? I think that should be a must. I mean, if you kind of if you're flying all the way out to this side of the world, you know, we we whoever's organising that fucking tour or show needs to um, talk to the Australian booking companies because um, we need a bit of this um, death rattle on stage down here because we we. We would fucking, oh, we would fever pitch over this. <laughs> like we, we're a country where we appreciate when bands come here because we know how fucking far away we've decided to locate ourselves in this country. So um, <laughs> it's it's not easy to get here. It's not easy. Yeah, I mean, it definitely isn't easy to get there. But like I said, if if it's in the cards and. Even if fucking five people want to see us play somewhere in Australia, and somebody says they can make it happen, like we'll do it. We don't. We don't care. So who knows? Maybe maybe we'll be able to get a little bit of Australian. Maybe uh, maybe uh, three four shows somewhere in Australia. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, now, kind of like the last thing I wanted to ask you before we look to wrap things up is um, a lot of people nowadays or over the last few years. Um, have been kind of having a go at metal music and hardcore music for what crowds do. Some people say that, you know, cr- mosh pits are too violent. Um, we shouldn't have pits. We shouldn't allow stage dives. Um, you know, what's your kind of take on the live show as it is? Um, and do you think it should just be accepted for what it is or do you think there is a way to patrol it? Because I don't think there's a way to control a couple hundred people for what they do in a crowd. I I have always said this and I don't know if it comes from like the shows that I was first going to when I was a kid, whether it be in Long Island or in the city that were like extremely over the top violent or if it's just the way that I view things because of the idea of hardcore I have, but I don't think that anybody should be telling people that we shouldn't be, you shouldn't be dancing. You shouldn't be stage diving. You shouldn't be doing this. Cause the way I look at it is that if we're playing or if another band is playing and people are expressing how they feel, whether it be violent or not, like this, this should be the place that we're able to do whatever the fuck we want. Now, with that being said, obviously I'm not saying go over the top to fucking purposely hurt somebody, but you know, like the Donnie Brooks song says, like what's a little blood? Like if, <laughs> if you get hurt, it's just, you know, chalk it up to the game. That's just what it is. It's like, I'm not, I'm not, I've gotten my nose broken. I've gotten knocked out. I've gotten so many, so many things have happened to me. But it, it just is what it is. You got to accept it. If you want to be a part of this and you want to, you want to be, you know, in the, in the scene or, or do something with like this, whether it just be moshing or playing in a band, it just is what it is. And it should be a fucking war when everybody plays because it's it's the way that we can all fucking express how we feel. We can we can get out all of that anger and everything you have in you, whether it be if you throw yourself off stage or you're 
swinging at nothing or whatever it is. It's just that's the way it is. I don't think anybody should have any say on who should do what and and you should not be able to do this because in reality it really is sort of like the last bastion Mm. where people can do what they want yeah fuck yeah Uh, yeah well perfectly fucking said dude yeah it's um it's it's interesting i don't know what venues are like in america um but here it's um everywhere has a barrier um stage dives or that kind of interaction has pretty much been eliminated. Um, to get a mic grab at a show can now be very hard for a vocalist to achieve because he's kind of got to step down off stage, climb up on the uh, up the barrier to try and achieve it. Um, and it also is we've seen that people get get kicked out of the venue. They're not hurting anyone. They're just you know they're throwing down. They're having their moment in the pit, and everyone in the pit knows this is going on. So they're giving them their space. And when the guy stops, security grabs him, kicks him out. It's weird. Yeah, see that 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 just sucks. That just sucks because it's like it. You, it's clear that like security thinks that he's probably going too hard for their liking, and that something can happen. But it's like in reality, that guy or that girl is is probably just has so much built up in them that they need the release and they're going crazy and it's like they're not trying to hurt anybody they're not trying to be a dick it's just the way they feel they need to act right now to to save themselves from having all this pent-up energy and anger in them and somebody tells them they can't be in here anymore and some of the person that's probably telling them that they can't be in here anymore has no fucking clue about hardcore metal or anything like that. It They're is. just kicking them out because of the whims of what they think. Yeah, and it's kind of that thing that um, I think any anyone that goes to shows on a regular is smart enough that you don't it, you don't get in the pit unless you know that you might accidentally get hit with not intentionally, but you might copper uh, something to the back of your head. You might you know you know your leg might get a bit of a scratch. Yeah. Or whatever you. You know the heat that's going on in that situation, but you know if you don't want the heat, stay out of the kitchen. Um, I think people yeah, that go to, I, they they're smart enough to know. True. Now, what I do, Dan, um, to wrap things up is I do a segment called "Pick Your Poison." Now, what we do here is all right. Um, I give you two options, and you pick your option of the two. Um, you don't have to explain your answers, but you're welcome to explain your answers because some people are worried when they pick one over the other that people are going to think, what the fuck? But some are easy, some are hard. So we start things off with, would you rather a pizza or a burger? Mm, Fuck. I'll say pizza just because I think it's more commonly eaten Mm. and... A burger, I feel like you can get around with some weird loophole and have something that might be a burger that's that's technically not a burger. <laughs> um, Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Indian, without question. I don't even really fuck with Chinese food. Um, cooking at home or dining out? Dining out. I, I My girlfriend cooks all the time. I love it. But for whatever reason, I, I just love eating out. It's insane. Uh, go to the cinema or sit on the couch? If it's sit on the couch and play video games, I'm for that. 
But if it's mm-hmm. sit on the couch and watch a movie, I'm for going to the movies. So that brings me to a PS4 or Xbox. PS4. Fuck it. Fuck it. Xbox. No, I I had an Xbox three. I had an Xbox three sixty, and for what a bunch of my friends got a PlayStation. I was like, all right, fuck it, I'll get a PS4. <laughs> um, next one is a bit of an interesting one because I know what the weather's like where you live. Would you rather the beach or the snow? Snow. I don't like hot weather at all. At all. It's the I don't know why I don't really like it at all, but I will take like a fall day in New York over any other kind of weather ever. Well, it is very beautiful in fall in New York, so I guess that's understandable. <laughs> Would you rather a cat or a dog? Dog. I, I don't particularly mind cats, but dogs are just there's just no there's no beating a dog. Uh, Batman or Superman? Batman. Superman is as as a chump, straight up. <laughs> he has no like, like Batman is just some dude who's just doing this. Superman is an alien who can't be killed. Well, obviously he can be killed, but like he has no weakness virtually. Um, Terminator or Predator? Fuck. Damn. Ah. Uh... I'm going to say Terminator. Okay. Ram- I don't really have a reason. Just Terminator. Rambo or Rocky? Ah, that's another hard one. Rambo, because he's clearly mentally deranged. <laughs> he's fucked up, like, but he's awesome. Like That's the thing. He's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. South Park or Simpsons? Ah, I'm going to go with Simpsons. That's just the it's the classic. You have to go with that. Okay. Uh sick of it all or H two O? Sick of it all. I like H two O. I I like kind of both of them on the same level, but I'm gonna say sick of it all. Uh Terra or Madball? Terror. Um Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Cannibal Corpse, no, no question. I, I, I probably listened to Black Dahlia Murder like two or three times, but Cannibal Corpse is just there's no beating that. Uh, Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica never really liked Megadeth. I always thought they sounded too cheesy. Yeah, they still do sound cheesy. Um, <laughs> s- stage dives or mic grabs? Uh, I'll say, I'll say. Mike grabs just because I don't know. I'm just going to say Mike grabs. <laughs> Would you prefer to watch a show in the punch pit or by the sound desk? Now, as I'm approaching my 30th birthday, mm-hmm. the sound sound booth. But <laughs> it, you know, previous years it definitely would have been right in the mix. Um, two left. Would you prefer to tour or record? Recording is cool and all, but there, there's nothing that beats touring. And the last one is a triple one. Do you prefer to have an? Do you prefer to have an album on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? Uh, I I would say I would say vinyl, just because vinyl's cool. But in reality, having it on your phone is the best way to have it. 
There's just no question. Uh, vinyl's cool and all, but having a record right on your phone, you're able to listen to it whenever you want, is the is the way to go. Yeah, um, it is. It's convenient, um, and it's ridiculous what we can do now with our phones. Um, Dan, fuck yeah, yeah, dude. That's our chat, man. Um, absolute legend. That was really good fun, man. I, that was easy, breezy. Next thing I knew, it was like, fuck, running out of time. Um, lots of fun, man. Really appreciate it. Hell yeah. That was, that was a fun interview. I'd love to do it again. Maybe next time we have a new record come out. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, next time, well, hopefully it's not in five years, but um, yeah, but definitely. I, I I swear I swear on everything it won't be in five years. We've already talked about writing new music, so we'll have something soon, I promise. Yeah, uh, well, definitely up for a part two when that comes around, and um, also, hopefully, we get to see you on our shores. I know the weather's probably going to be a bit warm for you, but we would love to see some King Nine. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll deal with it if we can play in Australia. I'll deal with it for a few days. Um, absolute legend, man. Love everything you do. Love the chat. Thank you, man. This this was actually a lot of fun.
that was my chat with Dan from King Nine. Also at the end there, you heard their track Art of War and you also heard their track Gift of Life. Both of those songs come off the band's most recent album called Death Rattle. Now, if you like your hardcore, if you like real in-your-face, straight balls-to-the-walls hardcore, make sure you're getting into King Nine. If you weren't really sure if you'd like them and you've heard those two songs and you dig them, get online, get this music into your ear holes, help the band out, buy a CD, buy a vinyl, do whatever you can to support Dan and these guys and this phenomenal music these guys are producing. Thank you again, Dan, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So that's it. That is the Mosh Zone episode 61 done, dusted, all wrapped up in the fucking can, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that We need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.